Rethinking Obesity. That's the title of this month's five-part series where I'm covering everything from defining obesity as a medical condition to conversations with your family doctor to effective treatment. If you or a loved one is living with overweight or obesity, this would be a great series to share. Together, we can change the narrative around obesity and lift the shame and stigma. Because obesity isn't a character flaw. It isn't a lifestyle choice. Obesity is a medical condition. Now, let's get into it. Welcome to the High on Life podcast, where it's all about empowering you with the medicine and the mindset to healthfully lose weight and thrive beyond the scale. I'm your host, Dr. Sasha High. This podcast contains general educational information on weight loss and beyond. Remember that while I'm a doctor, I'm not your doctor. So be sure to seek medical support from a qualified health professional. Welcome back to the podcast, my friends. This week, we are in part four of our five-part series called Rethinking Obesity. And we are going to be covering the pillars of obesity treatment today. Last week, I talked about the blood work and the investigations and what you can expect in an obesity assessment. And now I want to go through what we have available to us in terms of obesity treatment. Because what I shared last week is that really, although we can't pinpoint obesity as one singular cause, like it's this one hormone. And if we just fix this hormone, you'll be all better. Uh, That's often what people are kind of hoping for in the back of their mind when they come to an obesity physician. The reality doesn't happen like that. That's not, that's not usually the answer. There are some very rare forms of monogenic obesity, like Prader-Willi syndrome and some other rare conditions. And there are some newer therapies that are coming out to treat specific like monogenetic forms of obesity, but it's just not that for the vast majority of people, it's multifactorial. And so if it's multifactorial, we have to expect that we're going to need a holistic treatment plan, right? So we can't just target one thing. And I think that's why commercial dieting hasn't worked because commercial dieting focuses on one thing, focuses on a knowledge of food and a knowledge of certain foods being good, certain foods being bad, certain foods having more calories than others, or it's a focus on macros. And if that's all you focus on, you're just missing the big picture, right? And that's why dieting doesn't work as a long-term solution because you don't actually learn the long-term issues that are there. You don't address weight dysregulation. You don't address your appetite. You don't address physiology. You also don't address the fact that you don't feel like following your diet when you're stressed out at nighttime, right? Like how do we solve for that? So let's talk about the obesity treatment pillars. And I'll say there's not a, it's not completely uniform consensus of what these are depends on which bodies you look at. So I'm going to talk to you about Canadian obesity guidelines and their pillars. I'm going to talk to you about the obesity medicine association, OMA guidelines, and that's from the United States. And, and then my approach according to the obesity medicine association. So this is the OMA out of the United States. They have four pillars and their four pillars are nutrition therapy, physical activity, behavior change, and pharmacotherapy. If you look at the Canadian obesity guidelines, they have three pillars. One is behavioral and psychological interventions. The second is pharmacotherapy. And the third is bariatric surgery. I'm going to share with you how I present it because I sort of take like a blend of a blend of both of these. I believe that the pillars are the behavioral skills and tools, 
And I separate behavioral skills and tools from psychological interventions. And I'll explain why. I think that we need to teach behavioral skills and tools as, as a skill set. We need to address the psychology of our behaviors, which is the psychology of habit change, psychological interventions to deal with concurrent mood disorders, self-defeating thinking, internalized bias. It could be addressing poor body image. Like we need psychological interventions. So I'm going to, those are two. And then I think the third pillar is pharmacotherapy. The reason I don't include bariatric surgery as one of the pillars in my mind is because we have medications now that are approaching the success that we see with bariatric surgery, number one, bariatric surgery is inaccessible to a vast majority of the people that could that actually meet criteria to have it, number two. And number three, it's still something that many people will not even consider as an option. And we can get into weight bias and internalized bias and people thinking that they shouldn't require surgery to treat obesity. That's a whole separate conversation. But for many reasons, surgery just tends to be not, there's not a whole lot of uptake on it still. And so I don't, I just don't consider it a pillar for that reason. Now, if we talk about behavioral skills and tools, psychological interventions and pharmacotherapy, notice how none of those actually are diet and exercise. And this is why the interventions that we use in obesity treatment are to try and achieve the healthiest lifestyle that a person can achieve, which allows them to maintain a healthy weight long-term. And so we need to apply the behavioral interventions to achieve the healthy diet and the physical activity. They are not an intervention in and of themselves. And what I mean by that is me just telling you, hey, you should move your body more, you should exercise and you should eat healthier. That's not an intervention because you already know that. Everyone already knows that. Regardless of you, if you have obesity or you don't have obesity, we all should be doing that. We all already know that. The question is why are we not doing it, right? Now, wouldn't it be amazing if we all loved running marathons and we all wanted to only eat whole foods all the time. And we didn't have a palate for chips or Cheetos or chocolate cake. We just didn't like those things, but we loved eating chicken and salmon and whole grain rice and broccoli. Like that would be so fun. So much easier if we kind of naturally tended towards healthier eating, healthier behaviors. So why is it that we don't, right? I'm going to explain. I've talked about this before on the podcast, but let me review again the motivational triad. So this is the ancient part of our brain called the limbic system, and it has three core survival instincts. And this part of our brain is like the most powerful and domineering section of our brain, and it is completely structured around survival, and it's very impulsive, okay? It's the part of the brain responsible for motivational and emotional drivers, so this is our limbic system and our actions are motivated by these three deeply rooted survival instincts from the limbic system. Number one, to seek pleasure. So pleasure, desire, happiness, comfort. These are good things to seek from a survival perspective. So things that are essential for our survival, such as food, social relationships, reproduction, acceptance from the crowd, all of these things give us pleasure. And so our brain places great importance on them. And that ensures that we don't die off as a species. We continue surviving. So that's number one, seek pleasure. Number two, avoid pain is this is where we are kind of geared to escape predators, escape danger, move away from danger, try to get away from danger. 
but we don't have physical threats, right? We don't have physical threats, but our brain sees emotional threats like stress or anxiety or the fear of rejection or anger, sees these things as the same and so wants to avoid these. And the last survival instinct is to conserve energy, the path of least resistance to achieve the first two. So what's going to take the least amount of resistance? So if you think about these from a survival perspective in the grand scheme of humanity, like if we're thousands of years old, this was beneficial. But in today's day and age, seek pleasure looks like eat all of the dopamine, like brain hijacking foods that are highly processed and get more and more of those because those feel good. And they must be super important because that's what our brain thinks, right? So seek more of the hyperpalatable foods. Avoid pain looks like avoid stress is bad. Let me have another glass of wine or let me go smoke some marijuana because I, I don't want to feel this way. I want to feel better. I want to numb out. Okay. So that's avoid pain and conserve energy is I don't really want to hit the gym today. Let me do that tomorrow. Right. I just want to veg out in front of Netflix. So we are kind of biologically wired to eat more, exercise less. And this is our default position. Our default position as human beings is not healthy behavior. It is inherently unhealthy behaviors. And so we need to, coming back to the pillars of obesity management, use the pillars to try to override the system. We need to use behavioral skills and tools that we learn. We need to use psychological interventions. And sometimes we need to use pharmacotherapy to address this drive within the brain. My like core premise in everything that I do is that I believe that most people, the vast majority of people know what they should be doing to be healthy. They just need to be empowered to actually do it. So this is not a knowledge gap issue. This is not about me explaining calories to you like, oh, these foods have more calories and so eat less of them or um, explaining macros like that does not lead to behavior change. What leads to behavior change is addressing what's getting in the way. And those are addressed with behavioral skills and tools and psychological interventions and sometimes pharmacotherapy. Okay. So I think I've beaten that point down. So when I say behavioral skills and tools, what are we talking about? Well, these are tools that help you to actually make behavior change. So I will give you an example of a tool that we use inside best weight. It's called next best choice. And the goal of next best choice is to override a very common cognitive distortion or co common problem. Let's just put it that way that a lot of people experience, which is all or nothing thinking. So perfectionistic tendencies. And this is rooted in diet culture because diet culture is you have to follow this diet perfectly. Otherwise you're not going to get the results. So we learn to like, just eat super, super clean. And as soon as we go off of that very clean plan, all of a sudden it's oh, screw it. I, I can't do this. I've already, I'm already off my plan. I might as well keep eating anyway. So we go from all to nothing without recognizing the huge gray zone in between and that we'd be much better served living in that gray zone and uh, like aiming for the gray zone consistently than continuing to go from all in for short periods of time and then being all out for longer periods of time, which at the end of the day do not result in us living our healthiest lives. So in the tool that I teach is called next best choice. And the whole premise is I know you're going to have setbacks. I know you're going to eat off your plan. If you can, in this moment, the second you identify it, make your next best choice and stop the downward spiral, you will be on the way to more consistency in your life with your health behaviors than if you continue going for perfection, falling short, and then t telling yourself like, screw it, I can't do this anyway, and overeating, binging, just eating all the junk food, right? So that would be an example of a tool, a behavioral skill and tool. Another behavioral tool could be mindful eating. 
Okay, so we teach something called hunger scale, for example. And hunger scale is really becoming familiar with what hunger feels like in your body, what fullness feels like in your body, eating to the point of just enough as opposed to just cleaning your plate because the food is there. And many people have no awareness of their hunger when they start working with us. They've just never done this work before. They just eat what's put in front of them. They eat far too much because they're not in tune with their body and wonder why they're sluggish and lethargic afterwards and bloated and uncomfortable. It's because we're overeating, right? And so these are tools that we can teach. And it's just a matter of learning the tool and then practicing it. Really, it's, it's as simple as that. There's no magic here. There's no super magic formula to macros that is going to unlock everything for you. It really is just learning these basic tools. There are tools like self-monitoring, and this is one that is widely published in the literature. Self-monitoring of behaviors leads to more personal accountability. So that could be using a food tracker. It can be as simple as writing things down in a journal. It can be as simple as tracking how you feel before you eat, right? So if you are someone who has disordered eating behaviors, a tendency towards like compulsive or binge eating, then really identifying what, when you're feeling the need to binge, what are your emotions? What is going on for you? What are you thinking at that time? We do things like behavior chain analysis, which is from dialectical behavioral therapy. So there's all these tools that help bring awareness to our behaviors. There's really simple things like goal setting. Goal setting using the SMART acronym specific, measurable, actionable results and timely. I think that's what SMART stands for off the top of my head. But if we don't apply these tools and we just kind of wing it and cross our fingers, that's what most people do when they're trying to lose weight. They just kind of cross their fingers and hope like this time I'm just going to have enough willpower to be really good and I'm not going to eat. And even though I'm starving all the time, I'm just not going to eat. And so that's not a strategy, right? There are actual tools that you can learn. And just like you learned skills and tools that you apply to your career, skills and tools that you apply to driving a car, riding a bike, like all these things, you learn skills and tools. It's the same thing, but you just, you just didn't know that. Right. And you just kind of learned commercial dieting or whatever you saw on social media. So that's the behavioral skills and tools side. Let's talk about the psychological interventions. So when we say psychological interventions, I call it lots of different things. Sometimes it's mindset coaching. Sometimes it's reframing unhelpful thought patterns. It's essentially getting to the root of our behaviors. So CBT is that our thoughts create our feelings and from our feelings, we take action. So behaviors and actions are the same thing. If we continually try to change our behaviors without actually addressing the root drivers that led to those behaviors, which is thoughts and feelings, we'll keep on wondering why we don't, we won't stick with it. Okay, so let me give you an example. This is a super common one. Let's say we're working on hunger scale and I'm teaching you about eating to just enough and we're working on not finishing your plate just because it's there. So you might work on that for a time, but if you have a deeply seated belief from your childhood that it is inherently wrong to not finish your plate, you've been told that is it's like morally wrong. You're wasting food and children are starving and you're the result of children starving because you're not finishing your plate. If you have this belief that it's wrong to not finish your plate, you can try to not finish your plate for a while, but you're always going to go back to finishing your plate because it goes against your belief system. And we are, we tend to live out our belief system rightly or wrongly, even flawed belief systems like the one I just demonstrated will lead you to live that out. And this is the root of all of our behaviors. Okay. This is the part that most people don't realize when they're trying to make habit change and they don't realize you got to that habit because you have a belief. The belief could be you're not worthy. The belief could be everyone else is more important than me. The belief could be, I don't have time 
My career is more important right now. There is a belief that is resulting in your current behaviors. And unless we kind of unpack that and get to the root of that belief, you'll always revert back to the set of behaviors that is consistent with your internal belief system. So that's one form of the cognitive intervention is we have to get to the root of that belief system and start challenging that and start asking, okay, when this is a belief you've had for a long time, but a belief is just a thought you've had repetitively. You've had it so many times that you now believe it's true, but we can question our beliefs. We can question, is it serving me to continue believing that I'm not a worthy person, that my body's broken, that everyone else is more important than me, that my kids are more important than me? Is that giving me the results that I want in my life. And if it's not, then I would say that belief is not serving you anymore. And we get to challenge it and we get to decide and kind of take a step back and decide if we want to continue walking around with that mindset, with that belief system, or if we want to reframe. And that's the beautiful thing about human beings is we can actually take a look at our thoughts. Like we can create this, this meta state where we can look at our thoughts, not just be in our thoughts and decide if we want to continue believing that. All right. Went a bit deep there. But the other side of cognitive interventions is addressing mental health issues, right? So if you have mood disorders or you have really low self-esteem, you're very hard on yourself. You tend to shame yourself, have no self-compassion because you're so rooted in shame. And so anytime you eat off plan, you just beat yourself up and tell yourself how you're a terrible person. That's going to get in the way. It's going to get in the way of you being successful long-term. It can't stay there. We have to address it. We have to learn to bring in some tools for self-compassion. And there's actually, these are just psychological tools and skills that you can learn. You can learn the skill of observing your thoughts. You can learn the skill of awareness. You can learn the skill of thought reframing. You can learn the skill of emotional regulation, like and the skills, plural, <laughs> of emotional regulation. So these are all the psychological interventions that most people don't address. And that are the reason that people don't create consistency and don't achieve sustainability in their health behaviors and don't have the resilience to keep on going when they have setbacks because they have this whole story about how that means that they're a failure and they can never do it. And what's the point of even trying? So all of that has to be unpacked. So those are the first two pillars, the behavioral skills and tools and the psychological interventions. And the third one is pharmacotherapy. Now, what is pharmacotherapy? Pharmacotherapy is all the anti-obesity medications that you've likely been hearing about in the media and in social media. And there's like the positive sides that you've heard about. You've probably heard lots of the negative sides as well about celebrities abusing these medications and how these medications can cause all these problems. So the media is really into talking about it right now. So what is the truth about the pharmacotherapy? I'm going to actually talk about that in next week's podcast. So we're going to talk about the different anti-obesity medications that are available in Canada, why we would use them, when we would use them, how we use them, how to use them appropriately so that we're not misusing them. We're going to go into all of that. Three pillars that we talked about today. When we allow, when we address these things, what they create is your healthiest lifestyle. And when you are living your healthiest lifestyle, where you're not overeating, you're eating enough for your body that is required for nutritional fuel, your weight, you will achieve your best weight. When you use those three interventions, that sometimes includes pharmacotherapy. Sometimes it doesn't. There are some people who can achieve it with the behavioral and the cognitive or the psychological pillars alone. And that really is individually going to vary. But the goal is to get you moving, to get you living your healthiest lifestyle, to get you managing stress, sleeping well, prioritizing your health, eating in a way that is honoring of your body. But we need those interventions to achieve that as opposed to me just telling you, hey, 
you should eat healthy and exercise more because that doesn't work. And we know that. If you'd like help with this, please reach out. Go to my website, sashahighmd.com forward slash best weight. You can book a discovery call. You can speak with me or my team to figure out if your next step is joining us inside best weight so that you can achieve the weight management and the long-term health that you desire. All right. Thanks so much for listening. I will talk to you again next week. Bye. Thanks for joining me today. If you enjoyed listening to the High on Life podcast, please take a moment to subscribe, share, and review it on Apple Podcasts.